What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Horror Zone 607. We are the podcast that talks all things horror and brings you the week's biggest horror movie news. That's right. We are back. We had a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back, and it is time. It is October. It is Halloween Fest, and we have got a lot of stuff to talk about. We have got a jam-packed show. We have got some massive, massive news stories to go over this week. Some some really, really good news. Uh, so we, we're jam-packed with that. But we're also going to be going through first week of Halloween Fest. We're going to be talking and reviewing for the first time on this show an actual review of the original 1978 classic, one of the greatest horror movies ever made, if not the greatest, Halloween. But I can't do any of that without first introducing the man sitting just to my right. He is the Connell Cochran of mask making. He's rich. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. Yes, uh, New York Comic Con was one hell of a ride. It was a bumpy ride. Uh, that's why we didn't come to you the week before and kick off Halloween Fest because it was uh, really, I was cramming a lot of things in before I left for New York. And then this past week, coming to you a little later because, um, you know, some people should at home. We'll, 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 I'll be, be honest with you guys. Uh, if you guys didn't know, good old Mike C here. I think if you can remember back to when he was on uh, call, he has an immune problem. So I don't, I, I, whenever there's a question, I don't want to come in and coming back from New York comic con, obviously being around that many people, I had what they call the con crud, which is basically a bunch of fucking allergies and sinus shit because you're breathing and shit uh, there with the mask on. I think everybody, I have not heard of a major spreader event. So that was awesome. Thank you. Not one. So all the precautions must've worked at New York comic con. But uh, just to be on the safe side, we waited till some of it cleared up. So that way there was no chance of me taking out Mike C. I appreciate that because it might take me out for good. Well, yeah. So, so, so so there you go. That's that's why we didn't come to you on Wednesday. So please understand. But uh, other than that, New York Comic Con was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I know smashing success. I mean, I know it's a little past now, but I got to uh, speak with uh, uh, the Ghost Hunters, which we'll talk about next week's show. Don't worry, because I'm going to get the audio down so I can put some of that audio out there. Uh, Kindred Spirits and Ghost Hunters. I can I can spoil it for you because they had both there. Yeah, Amy Bruni and Adam Barry. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they, I mean, no, but they had both groups. I had in all three of the members of Ghost Hunters. So, mm-hmm. and they had them at two separate tables, and we got to we got to go to both tables and talk to them for about 20, 25 minutes. Wow. So there's really some good stuff. I got to ask some hard hitting questions. Did you really? I asked. And you them, got audio? Yes, I asked nice. them. I asked them both the same question. By the way, I'll let everybody know. So as a teaser for next week, I said, out of all the play, you've you've done a ton of places. Where would you? Where's your dream? Where would you like oh, to that go? That was my question. I know exactly. Yeah. And guess what? They had some really good answers to that. Uh, I do want to. I do want to give you. Uh, give you on bated breath. I was told. We were told by uh, the the people at Kindred Spirits that episode one, which is now coming out in December, not January. So I'll plug that early. Hmm. Dead body. Real dead body. So, oh boy! Yeah. So uh, I'll be mixing down the audio this week. So next week's show we can talk about that. Also, uh, I got to go to speaking of horror because I did a ton of other stuff, but other in the horror realm, I did get to go see the Chucky World premiere. That was awesome, by the way. Yeah. So, Episode one was this la- last week, and man, I loved it. So you guys have probably all seen it. I thought it was a nice little. It was a slow burn, like a, like in the beginning part. Well, in the beginning part because they did a lot of setup, but man, once it took off, I could see where they're going with it. Uh, also, I'll be talking. Uh, you know. I got to talk. Uh, we got to be a part of the panel with Jennifer Tilly and Don Mancini, and of course, special guest Alex Vincent was in the house. Was he really? Also, the young man who plays Jake. Andy Barkley. Yes, the young man who plays Jake was also in the house. It was a good time. Uh, like I said, we're gonna, I'm gonna. I don't have audio for that because that was during a panel. But we'll we're gonna break that down next week because we have a ton of news this week. So we're gonna go over that next week because uh, by then you guys will have episode two, and I can kind of nothing on that nothing that happened on the panel affects anything until later on. 
because it's not there was no spoilers given obviously but they 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 did tell they did tell us about things jennifer tilly was really funny it was a really good time so those were the horror things at new york comic-con but i got to do oh and ghostbusters afterlife oh yeah why don't i mention that real quick real briefly because i'm not going to give anything away So the, the Ghostbusters Afterlife panel happened. It was the home run panel of the week, and I'm sure some of you have already found out. So uh, on the panel, we had the entire child cast. Finn Wolfhard was there. McKenna Grace was there. The whole child cast, plus the, the woman who plays Kali, the mother, and, of course, both Ivan and Jason Reitman. Uh, we did make Ivan Reitman cry. Uh, because at one point Jason said about uh, we, none of us would be here today if it wasn't for the man to my left and the entire room stood up and gave him a standing ovation which made him cry. Wow. It, it was nice. It was cool to see. But at the end, the most important thing from the panel is at the end of the day, he got up to show us clips of the movie. He said, and they had the men in black, which we'd seen them the whole time, which that means you aren't allowed to take out your phone <laughs> for reasons. Uh, and uh, so we were going to get to see, he said, uh, the, the moderator said, hey, would you like to introduce the clip, Jason? So Jason goes, hey, listen, I just want to reiterate earlier. I told you guys you're the most patient fans in the world. You guys have been super patient with us getting pushed back for different reasons. And then, of course, the pandemic. And there's nothing I can tell you. But you know what? Your wait's over. Tonight, we're showing you the movie. <laughs> so they showed us the entirety of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, so I have seen Ghostbusters Afterlife a month out. I will not spoil it. All I will say is the same thing I've been telling everybody. It is the, if you're not a fan of this franchise, if you don't know familiar or fan, this is still a good movie. It's a good movie no matter what. If you are a fan of the franchise though, this is the most beautiful love letter to fans of all time. And the only other spoiler I'll give is there is a mid-credit scene and there is a post-credit scene. So there's wow. two scenes. And the mid-credit scene possibly has the greatest setup of all time. You'll see it right before. There's kind of a setup and it's funny as shit. Uh, and that's all I'll tell you. Other than that, you know, it was kind of cool to be in a room with 6,000 plus people watching on a gigantic screen this movie because it wasn't theater atmosphere. Everybody was cheering and clapping and applauding. And I don't think it's a spoiler because we know that the original Ghostbusters are back. Right. When they show up on screen, I could not hear three lines of dialogue. That's how loud <laughs> the room was. Like it was nuts. You're in New York City. New York City. They mentioned it during the panel. It's true. New York City is the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like that is the home and heart of the Ghostbusters. So it was only fitting that they showed New York Comic Con. And trust me, I was floored. I we were we were high fiving everybody around us. Everybody was screaming. There was people, uh, dude. There was people in tears when they. So they, they like the opening scene, a scream too. Dude, it was the opening. Dude, honestly, you know that video. Uh, of the soccer hooligans going nuts when their team wins in the bar yeah. and they're, they're throwing. Yeah. Stuff. That is what it looked like minus the beer. <laughs> they should have no had beer. beer. If they had beer, it would have been the exact same. <laughs> it was insane. Everybody, like I said, I saw people in tears, goosebumps. I'm still, I get goosebumps thinking about it. I love the movie. Cannot wait to talk about it. Unfortunately, this is the longest embargo in history because it doesn't come out till November 19th. I will be re-seeing it in the theater, but it is, that's how good it was. I can't wait to re-see this movie. Uh, I really I, see if you're a fan of Ghostbusters, see this movie. Go and see it. See it in the big theater. See it. See it. if you if you feel comfortable enough to go to the theater. I'm telling you, this is one of those movies that on the big screen you're gonna it's gonna bring you back to a time of nostalgia. It's amazing. And something tells me, COVID or not, this thing is gonna make a ton of money. There's so unless many they fans. put it out on streaming services same day. But I haven't heard that that's gonna be happening, brother. There is so many fans of this franchise. Yeah, I don't. This think This would it's be possible. like if another Back to the Future movie came out. 
I agree or, with or you. Close. I agree with you. I I think this uh, I this movie is and like I said, I can't say I can't tell you because I don't want to spoil this movie for anybody. There are so many awesome fucking moments in this movie, and if you're a fan of the franchise, those moments take on this like amazing emotional I, I have no I have no qualms telling you I did not cry but I teared up three different times by the way none of them was because of being sad every time I teared up during this movie it was like joy like I saw something that I was just like this makes my fucking heart full you know what that's how I feel every week doing the show with you well I thank you I that's why I tear it. up at the end of every episode it. although there is a real tear jerker uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh -oh. So there is a real... This movie is this movie takes you on a ride. It's funny like the original. They, they did a great job. It's funny. It's action. There's even some horror elements just like the original. And then, of course, there's 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 definitely emotional because it's nostalgia. So you're right. really, it's taking you back for somebody like me who watched this movie as a child. Yeah, it's smart to do that. We grew up on this movie. Yeah. We watched it as children. That's the feeling you get when you watch this movie. And they did it perfect. That's why I said it's the greatest love letter to fans ever. And you're just like, fuck yeah. I'm going to ask so. the one once. I'm going to have you give away one spoiler. Just one. Okay. Is the Ghostbusters theme in it? I'm going to do you one better, Mike. And this is this is going to be the biggest spoiler I'll ever Jr. is on right screen here. singing it no, live? No. Oh. no. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do one better. This is the biggest spoiler I'll ever give for the movie. The soundtrack to this movie is very much identical to the original. Nice. So think about the noises you hear in the original. They remix some of them a little bit, but they are the sound that you hear during the movie. So That's I will amazing. say that. So that, that doesn't give too much away. So you can, the nostalgia, that just tells you how much the nostalgia ride is, is that they are so keen to it that right down to the sound soundtrack, they kept it like, so like the songs, like, you know how like the do, 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 do. Yeah. That song, that's in the movie. Wow. So, yes. So, to answer your question, yes. Yes. Yes and more yes. So, Amazing. everything you've heard in the original will be in this. They should have had Ray Parker Jr. come on and be a new Ghostbuster. That's, that's, I, that's besides well, the point. Well, you know, er Ernie Hudson's there already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that being said, we need on to, to dive into here. the actual show. We have a lot of news for you. Of course, we're also kicking off Halloween Fest finally. And, of course, remember this year we are covering the OG Strode timeline. So, we will be in the second portion of this show. We will be reviewing... The original 1978 Halloween. For the first time ever on the show, we're actually going to give a yeah. full-on review of I got some hard-hitting trivia questions for this month. I'm sure you do. And so, ones. of course, of course, that's coming up in a second. But before we go there, it is time for the Horror Zone Movie News. Mr. Sandman. Oh, that's beautiful. That makes me feel good. I didn't know what was coming. You wouldn't tell me. I told you. I was going to surprise you. And I even looked over there and didn't even realize what I was... I wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's, it's the best way to bring in the news. Oh, God. And it wasn't even featured in the first one. It started in the second one, but what a perfect song yeah, for exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm afraid of that song because of those movies. Well... Let's get started, because like I said at the top of the show, we got some major, major news. We got about three or four stories that could be our lead story this week. That's how much stuff that's come out over the last two weeks since we did our last show. None bigger than the Friday the 13th lawsuit. We've talked a lot about this over the last several years. Never thought there was going to be an end <laughs> to this, but quote unquote, it has ended. 
I was going to say, I know you're going to dive into detail, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump too far, but, uh, it is ended in the way that this portion is over. Who knows? Yeah. And so here's the deal with this. Uh, the other night, uh, on YouTube, I, I came across, uh, on Twitter, I, I follow Larry Zerner who, of course, was Shelly in, in part three and uh, is also an entertainment lawyer. Mm -hmm. And he had a thing up that he was going to be a guest on a YouTube channel. So I actually watched it. He was on for a good hour, hour and a half. And um, the the show, that the guy that runs the show, uh, it's called Pizowl, I think is how he pronounced it. Um, so he had Larry on and uh, went over this thing. But... Uh, Victor Miller, I think that we all expected, was going to win and did. He prevailed, yes. as he did with the first lawsuit. Absolutely. So just to kind of get into this a little bit, um, the question was asked, is this something that Sean Cunningham has more recourse? Is there something more he can do? And he said, uh, yes. He said he could take it to the Supreme Court. He, They won't listen. He goes, it's, it's not going to happen. But he has the right to do which, so. Which, if he does, you still could not do a movie or anything else until after they shoot it down. Because technically, it's, yeah. still, it's still in a docket somewhere. Right. As and that as hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I just want to... Yeah, but as long as there's a docket open, right. it still can stop them from licensing it. Right. Cont I and, just wanted to point that yeah, out. Yeah, and he did say this Sean Cunningham is very likely to do it. He's pushed it this far over this whole thing with money. He said the chances are he's probably going to. Um, but he said that there, it's a pretty much a 100% chance it's not even going to be heard. This this thing, for all intents and purposes, is done. Well, I was going to say it, and after the, the few rulings we've had now, it seems pretty cut and dry. Right. So, of course, you know, the questions started coming out about where does this bring the franchise? You know, is that it? Can we just, is, is one going into production immediately? And Larry Zerner said, uh, no. That's not going to happen. No. And here's the reason why. The whole thing with this is Victor Miller has one creative control over all characters and aspects in the first movie. Sean Cunningham has international rights. Sean Cunningham can go make a movie over in Bulgaria right now if he wants to and release it. But he said, let's face it, there's not a movie that's going to come out that's not going to be in the U.S. And he wouldn't be able to do that here. So Victor Miller owns all characters. And here's the big kicker. And derivative. Derivatives of all characters present in his script. So a lot of people have said, okay, well, you know, he, he did young Jason. We can just get on and we can have adult Jason. No, because adult Jason it's is a, a derivative, derivative of of young Jason so, who was in the original script. So let me get this straight. So in a way, him pushing this further has actually taken more rights from Sean Cunningham. Yes. Because originally, remember the ruling, because we made fun of it, the judge pointed out that Mr. Miller did not own the hockey mask wearing psychopath with a machete. However, now... He does, because that's all a derivative of, of the Jason, Jason character. who was in the original script. Ah, uh, okay. So, that is correct. So, so by pushing so, it further, Sean Cunningham has fucked himself more. Yes. So he cannot make anything with, with Camp Crystal Lake, Mrs. Voorhees, Jason, any camp counselors, <laughs> nothing. So unless you want to make a new Friday the 13th movie with a guy that wears a, a paper bag over his head named Marcus, you know... You know, at Camp Moonblood, you know, it's 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 not going to happen. So here's where he kind of went with this. So, you know, again, people kind of kept asking the questions. So what now? How do we get a new movie off the ground? And he said, 
essentially, here's here's what's going to have to happen with this thing. Miller and Cunningham are going to have to come together and make an agreement. So this is going to go one of two ways. Victor Miller has made it clear that he never wanted to see another Friday the 13th. He intended to make one. Jason was dead. End of story. That's what he wanted. He never liked the fact that they made sequels. So if he doesn't want to make another one, there's never going to be another Friday the 13th movie. They've got to come together. And, and, you know, Zerner did say he does believe that it will happen. He said that they're both 80 years old now. Um, They both want to make money. He said chances are they're not going to be around much longer. I don't know what happens if either or both die. I'm assuming it goes to their estates, in which case the families are going to start fighting with each other. So here's what we need as fans. I'm being serious. This is what I'm taking from this. I don't know if he mentioned this or not. You can tell me. Here's what we actually need as fans. We need a Jason Blum type figure, and I'm only using Blum because Blumhouse does all this shit, to buy this movie. So he's going to have to buy the rights from both of them. Yeah, but even that, look how rights have gone over the years. Right, but if you you buy the rights from both of them, then you control the rights. So if somebody... Until somebody gets them back, well, no, well, no, 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 because you can. Well, here's the thing: if you cross your, if you cross, if you dot your eyes and cross your t's, you can own them forever. The problem is, is that a lot of people, when we keep hearing about things going back, is because back in the day, people didn't sign ironclad contracts. Right, they signed these little fucking bullshit deals. Like, it's, it's true. And in some cases, like Nightmare on Elm Street, it works out for the best because the family now owns and they own it definitively. It can the Craven family, unless they sell the property, will always own the rights to Nightmare on yes. Elm Street. That is, that's how it is worded now so you could buy if somebody and i'm only using jason blum don't say that because there's many of people who can do it right lebron james is a guy who could do it he's a huge fan and he has already tried to put something together yeah so now that now that it's clarified if both parties were smart they would take the payout and have somebody buy the property from them so that way fans get what they want we get, which is a new movie and the the NECA figures and yeah. and the video games and everything else that we would like to go along with this fucking series and, it, and and then they don't have to they can wash their hands of it and have total money and compensation elsewhere and even if you work into the deal that they get royalties and their families will later get royalties i'm sure that there is a way to make this deal happen because you can ironclad it. You can say, yeah. you're selling me the rights. That means nobody else has a claim to them. Now, movie-wise, I will go this far with you, Mike. Because Paramount made some of the films and New Line made some of the films, they could always argue about the films they made, but they cannot argue about who owns the actual franchise. So right. you might not be I able... I think New Line has the rights to them right now. I think New Line has the complete rights right now. So the problem is, is that the only problem you would ever run into is later on in life... You may not be able to show the older movies, but if you create a new franchise, if you continue the franchise on, who cares? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you're going to, if you're going to make Halloween-esque numbers, because you will, I mean, hell, even the remake, the Friday the 13th remake made a ton of money. Yeah. So like, you know, you're going to make your money back. Why wouldn't it, it would be smart for somebody who's, you know, l- loves the franchise, uh, a Blumhouse kind of situation or a LeBron James or, you know, insert name of whoever, you know, has a shit ton of money and loves this franchise to buy the rights from both gentlemen so we can get movies yeah. and and they'll be able to market and license the, the image for other things. Right. I mean, here's really, you know, and, and it didn't come up about what happens if they both die and it goes to their estates. And that could get messy, especially oh, if the families hate each other. Messy. That could be awful. We may never see another Friday the 13th movie again. But, you know, this is up to this point. I, I think that it's safe to say that on the show that we've really sided with Victor Miller and we felt sympathy for him. But again, he's made it crystal clear over the years. He never intended. He did not want any more. If he doesn't want any more, he could be a big jerk about this, and there may never be another one. There is a silver lining. I he did may not go, care about the money. I did go back 
back and look. When we first reported on this, there was a there was an article that had come out, and I went back and I looked. Uh, there was he said after the first court victory that he would be open to pitching and licensing it out. Okay, so he doesn't want to make another movie. He wants nothing to do with the franchise, but he would license out the property if Sean Cunningham would sign on. So he was willing to play ball before Cunningham sued him again. Now, has that changed? I don't know. Here's the thing. If if Cunningham only owns the international rights, what's stopping a director from just going or a studio from going, okay, we'll just sign rights with Victor Miller and just release in the U.S.? Yeah, I don't know how that works. I don't know if Cunningham has some kind of control over something still. This, this, you know, it's Here's a, this. Money, this is complicated stuff. Money breeds things, and I hope we can get an agreement. Because money, right now, you're leaving a ton of money on the table. Halloween is doing well, even though it was on streaming as well. It still did a decent uh, so far weekend. And I... And that's with streaming for free, mm-hmm. you know, on Peacock. Yeah, it made like four point seven million on Thursday night. The first Alone. one, twenty eighteen, made seven point seven. They're projecting yeah. this is going to probably make a worldwide total of about a hundred to a hundred. Right, and they probably million. made it about the same amount selling it to the Peacock too. Right, because right. we we've estimated because they've never come public with it. We've estimated that deal to be eighty to hundred million easy. Right, right, easy. So they're making a like with that said alone, and we have Scream, which we'll talk about here in a minute, coming out in January. This right now is the hottest time to put out properties, yeah. and they're making money, and you are leaving money on the table. If somebody don't go back to court, Sean Cunningham, sit across with an agent or something, talk to fucking Victor yeah. Miller, and and and, and that's, have people approach I, you to buy a fucking movie. I'm and glad that money. you mentioned that because that's one of the other things that Larry Zerner said. He said that basically this is going to have to be like Major League Baseball when somebody goes to arbitration. You got your own owners you got the player and they're fighting over the money you know when you're arbitration eligible he goes you're gonna need to it's gonna have to be something like baseball has with arbitration for this to happen because there's so many bad feelings between these two mostly caused by sean cunningham right which go ahead and say it fuck sean cunningham there we go it wouldn't be a show without that but i'm just saying put on your big boy panties Sit across from each other with an arbitrator and make money because you yeah. guys have both you lost clearly money. wanted money. Ready for this? You've both lost money paying for lawyers to go to court. For how many years? Let's make that. Let's make some of that money back because the new movie licensing a new movie to let's say a Blumhouse or whoever will make you your money back. Well, here's the other thing too, Sean Cunningham. You're in your 80s now. How much more money do you need to make? Don't be greedy. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to make millions Dude, of dollars. This is off a of guy this. who was a producer. Ready for this? This is a guy who was a producer on Wes Craven films as well. Yeah, I know. Like that's that's a lot. A lot of people don't understand. Sean Cunningham has done a lot in the business. Yeah, and I said you know a lot of great movies, especially in horror and outside of horror, have been produced by Sean Cunningham. It's not like he's lacking money. I know the man. That's has just a lot. how greedy people are, and I'll never understand it. I'll never understand. Cunningham was the early partner of Wes Craven. He was involved with The Hills Have Eyes, with Last House on the Left. Mm -hmm. He was not, we found out he was not, I I, I did read this into this, it's funny. He was not involved in a physical way on the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but he was part of the dealings. Oh, because him that. and well, because him and because he helped Wes Craven as a consultant. Oh. Because obviously he had already made Friday the Thirteenth, so they were kind of going, okay, let me. How do we get? And this, what do you do? You go back to your friends, right? And him and Sean, Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham were great friends. Yeah. So you go to your friends to get help. This is some weird shit, man. Like, yeah. where the hell do you go? I. It's a good question, but it's it's still going to be messy if they really want to make it that way. But for God's sake. Although we did drop the ball when we when we were looking up on this show, fastly Sean Cunningham being in a producer of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, technically he was because he was executive producer of Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, yeah, buddy. I, I, 
I don't know. I just if for anybody that's interested in watching it, uh, the, again, the guy's name they had him on it. It's Pizowl. Uh It's P I Z O W E L L. I'm sure you can find you know it, it on YouTube. Go look it up. It was a great interview. Larry Zerner sounds like a great guy. He's entertaining, uh, down to earth. You know, he he really had a lot of great information. He talked a lot about his role in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three uh, and Shelley. And uh, I, um, I'll tell you guys what I've. There's going to be a lot of things coming up, coming into the new year and stuff. We're gonna, I'm going to be do, doing some more production stuff and getting some, some things uh, going out on this show and all shows in the eight one two two productions hashtag six hundred seven podcast family. Just so you guys know, there's a lot coming. Uh, I'm not going to throw it all out there because it's going to be rolled out over time because obviously sometimes I try to bite off more than I can chew. But there's going to be a lot of things coming. One of them is probably trying to figure out some different avenues of. Uh, the technology of interviewing. So Larry Zerner's on a, on a high page of a list of people that I would love to talk to only because I, I got questions and I'm sure he can answer those questions. Right. And honestly, you know, here's the deal. He, this is another thing I, I texted you last night or the other night when I was watching this, he said he loves doing conventions. He goes, you know, get in touch with the promoter of the thing and have him get a hold of me. He goes, I'd love to do convention. I'll come. He goes, I'll be there. We might be able to have him one of ours in the future. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll try that out too. But, but I, I'm just saying, I think I, that we could get him on the show. He's, he's, he's a guy that I would like to, to, to one of the guys I'd like to go down the avenue. Cause I have a lot of questions, not just about this, but about a few other things in the entertainment business realm. And, uh, being an entertainment lawyer, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, and and by the way, uh, Tyler from Thirty and Nerdy uh, had gotten a hold of us. He did an interview with uh, a gentleman that was involved with the original Evil Dead. He was one of the fake Shemps, actually, but he was involved in uh, in that. So uh, he said that he could get him on our show too if we wanted to. Um, so we'll see Who how knows? that goes out. His name is David Horton. Yeah, so. I saw that too. Who knows? Who knows? Just like I said, there's a lot like of things. There's a lot of things coming in the new year that we're going to be doing and checking out as uh, you know to to grow and to make things a little more concise. Also, you know, it is Horror Zone six oh seven. We got we got a lot. You know, we we are one of the few horror podcasts out there that bring you horror news. I'll do this show until we have six hundred and seven celebrity guests on our show. That's how long that could be do a this. long time. That's fine. I got I got plenty of years left. Uh, so another one of the big stories uh, from this past week is we finally, not only did we initially get the first poster for Scream 5, as we're going to call it here, Scream 2022, which looked awesome, by the way. It didn't look like the ones from the original ones where they had the cast on the front, that that what became of like 90s slashers movies where you have the ghost cast face on it. right up front. This is just Ghostface. But we got the first trailer. A full-size trailer, not a Woo-hoo. teaser, and boy, did this thing look awesome. Listen, now, and I've also now seen it on the big screen because I went to see Halloween Kills on Thursday, and it was, of course, before that as well. So uh, let me just throw it out there. Amazing. I watched it on YouTube. I've now watched it in the theater. I, I, I had a, it, it looks amazing. Uh, just a quick breakdown. Uh, you open. How else are you going to open a Scream trailer than with a girl on a phone, but using technology? Because I liked about this, that their text message... This is an Amber. Answer the phone. This is an Amber. She answers the phone. We hear the familiar, you know, ghost face voice. But then they are using automatic locks, you know, from your phone. And we play the unlock lock game, unlock yeah. lock game. So it's like they are using technology. So I think that's yep. really cool. They've always done that in the franchise and they're continuing to do that. I think that's really neat. And then, of course, we get to see the cast of old characters that we know. And man, and I don't I mean this in the nicest way possible. If they don't kill Sydney in this one, it's going to get a little scary because Nev Campbell is getting old, man. Yeah. 
I mean, I, although I think that she looks just like the one thing is the she does look like Nev Campbell, but Nev she's, Campbell and Courtney Cox in particular look different from each movie. Yes. And I think that they look exactly like they did 10 years ago in Scream 4. I don't think that either one of them have changed much I think, since I think then. they both a little aged, no, which nothing wrong with that. They're both, you know, I've also aged. I got gray hair, Yeah, you know. But I mean, I'm just saying, I think that they both got had some aging, which is like, I don't know how long you're going to be able to con- continue to do the physical activities. This. Of course, looking like complete and utter shit, but I've seen them lately, of course, would be uh, our, our good friend, the champion of 607TWS, David Arquette. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's talk about him real quick. I you love know, David one Arquette. One of the things that I've said right along with this is, in each of the previous four movies, whatever was going on in his real life with Courtney Cox was mirror. It was like a mirror image of it in the movies. In the first one, they meet and they kind of flirt with each other and they like each other. In the second one, uh, they end up, you know, they had broken up between the first and the second movie, but they rekindle that and it becomes more serious. In the third one, you know that it happened again, but they get back together. They get engaged, which happened in real life. And the fourth one, they're married, which their marriage was getting kind of rocky at that point, but they were actually married. Then they got divorced. In this one, it looks like Dewey is living out of a trailer. It looks like he's, he's looking living, rough. He's, he's looking like a conspiracy theorist out of a trailer. Yeah. He's so looking, you can tell. I'm guessing that they're divorced in this movie. I am too. Another thing that they came out with is that Deputy Judy is now Sheriff Judy. She's ah, Sheriff Hicks in this okay. movie. So she has taken over. So I'm guessing that Dewey is no longer... Yeah, I think he's gone over the edge. Yeah. He kind of looks like he's going a little crazy. He's telling the kids the rules of the movie, so he's kind of almost taking the Randy role as right. well as the, as the Dewey role. So here's another thing here. You see a girl at one point. Uh, I don't know I don't know if they were in a hospital or where they were, but Sydney walks in, and she's like, hey, I'm in the girl stops. She's like, I know exactly who you are. Later on in that trailer, Stu Mocker, his house from the first movie, is in this movie, I also, and that girl is in the doorway. I want to point this out. They, they let it slide even further. If you listen to the trailer, they say that every single one of the victims is related, related to the original killers. That's what the hook is for this movie is the victims are related. So to the, to the original killers. To the original killers. Well, no, not killers. Or just anybody that was a legacy character throughout really? the series. Really? I thought it was just the original killers. No. it's Anybody that's related to the original characters that were involved... They're the victims in this one. So it's not the killers. Oh, okay. It's the victim. It, it, anybody. Anybody that different. was involved in it. Uh, it they explained so, this being different, which it looked more mean-spirited. It did. This this looked menacing. It didn't look like a comedy this time, which I'm sure it will be when it comes down to it. But this looked like a full-out horror movie. It, it, it looked terrifying. And, you know, one of the things a lot of people were saying, oh, my God, you see everybody die. They give away the whole movie, which trailers tend to do. And they were quick to come out afterwards and say, don't believe everything you saw. There's going to be so many twists and turns. You have no idea. We may have just set you up for something. You have no idea what's actually coming in this movie. Plus, the actors themselves have said that every one of the scenes that they filmed, and especially the ending, they did multiples of all of them. They said they don't even know what movie's coming out. They did multiple shoots on everything. That's a trick they started using on Scream 2. Yes. Which is fun that they're still using it. But that was more the script. Right, that was right, the right. script. They, they didn't different shoot scripts. Right, right. I, this, I do it know, was done. I do know on three, they shot a couple different scenes. Not every scene, right. but they shot a couple different scenes different ways because there was people who thought that they were the killer. Yeah. They weren't the killer. This one has so many different variations of what's actually out there. They don't even know what film right. is coming so out. That's, that's even better that they've done. Oh, yeah. They've gone the extra mile and just shot a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So technically on the DVD extras, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> if they put them have, out there. You, I'm sure they will. Why wouldn't you? Maybe not written initially, but it's a good way to sell a new box set. Oh, yeah. We have all this extra footage, and there's extra footage from some of the other movies. That's how you know, because the original box set had a bunch of the extra footage that they shot for throwing people off, basically. Right. So here's my theory on this whole thing. We see Stu's house. 
we see this girl standing in the doorway. Earlier in the film, she sell, she tells Sydney when Sydney goes to introduce her, yeah, I know who you are, in a real nasty tone. Stumacher's sister. This girl, now, this movie's 25 years old, and this girl looks like a teenager, so unless this is taking place several years back, or this girl's actually not playing a high school student, you know, maybe she is, like, in her mid-20s, the movie's 25 years old, the original movie. So if it's his sister, she would have to be 25, and she would have had to have been an infant that we don't see in the first one. Or, if it turns out that it's his daughter... Stu must still be alive. And there was an interview that I sent you guys in our chat where he says, and I quote, Stu is still alive. Well, here's the problem. If it's his daughter and she's and he's alive, that gives away the fucking movie in the beginning. Maybe. Like that gives away the killer right away. Maybe. Right. No, no not maybe. It does. Like, but we don't know that he's going to be smart. in it. Anybody, yeah, right. But if, he, if that's the argument, then that gives away that he is alive and he's the killer. Yeah. Because if you think about it, that makes sense. But that's the only way you can give it away. That's why I say sister. And maybe it turns out it is her daughter, but she's going to say it's his sister. She's going to be some relative. Well, maybe it's a cousin. Well, here's the thing. Even if it is his sister, because she lives in the same house, that doesn't mean she was born when her brother got murdered. That means her parents could have oh, had yeah. her after. Think about it. Her parents that's true. wouldn't have been that old. Maybe that's they true. want another child after their, their their son gets, you know, their son's murdered. They want another child. They have another child, a later yeah. in life baby. I didn't think about that. That's That was so stupid that is, that is. I'm just saying, I, I think that that's, put it this way. That is going to be the explanation either way. If, if it isn't a cousin or something, it's going to be the explanation that he's his sister. It's later in life, child, sister, or, and if it comes out at the end of the movie that it is his daughter, that means he was alive. There's not going to, I don't think they're going to tip their hand in the beginning of the movie to be like, oh, by the right. way, you know what I mean? And there was one other theory. You see a real quick blip. It looks like it's in a hospital. You see somebody from behind sitting in a wheelchair. And I saw some people say, is that Stu in the wheelchair? It would make sense. If he got a TV thrown on his head and stabbed, maybe he's been in a wheelchair all this time. It didn't look like him, so I doubt it was it. him. But or he could be faking it too. But I think that Stu is going to turn up in this movie. What if it's what if it's uh, Sydney's cousin there who got cleared to the head? Maybe she's not dead. She's just in a wheelchair. Well, it, was a, it was a it was a male. Well, but, you know, we I mean, don't know. She could have a, wig she on. Head, she could have a shaved yeah, head. That's possible. You know what I mean? That's well, one think thing about that it. they once have you, never once done. You get, once you get fucking paddled to the side of the head, you don't have hair. Do for hair? There's a lot of. Really I've been saying right along that they should have a killer that moves on to the next film every time the killer gets killed. So that that's something that has not changed throughout the series. And why can't they survive? It makes it scarier if they survive. What if? On. What if they do the right thing? Huh? Wait. Hear me out. What if they wait? What if they do that? And it's not Stu or anybody. What if there was a hidden hand the whole time? Like you know, they kind of did it in three. Well, but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't good. What if there was a real hidden hand the whole time, and we finally get the dip of the hidden hand, which would explain, by the way, going throwing conspiracy ads. If you go on the internet and watch, you can watch who killed who in the series. There's a bunch of movies where there is. Like, there should have been a third killer, or there should have been a second yeah. killer, because there's no way you could have been in these places at the same time. So, there has been long rumored from fans that there was another hand involved, yeah, and that's and where the, the stew stuff comes from a lot of times. It's funny that you mentioned that. Before we move on, because we, we do need to move on yes. here, but um, between, the first and, between the first and third movies, I think it was after the first one came out, maybe it was after the second one, when I was going to college, there was a friend of mine that we really got into the Scream movies, and we were always talking about them and different theories we had of it, and we came across a a website called the third killer theory and that ended up happening in the third movie a couple of years before we even knew you know that this movie was ever going to come out that's the direction they went 
and it ended up being Roman, obviously, you know, spoiler alert on a movie that's, you know, 20 plus years old now. But, you know, it ended up actually being that. So who's to say they don't go that route again? The only thing that I don't like is that one of the ones that they always talked about going with was that Stu was going to be in prison, was going to be the mastermind behind all this. Stu was the puppet in the first movie. He was a goofball. Well, he was a puppet twice because he was the puppet to Billy. And then he was also, we found out later, the puppet to Roman because they were both puppeted by Roman. Right. And then Billy was he was he was the direct puppet to Billy. I and just, he was uh, by proxy the puppet of Roman. So how was he the mastermind when he was when he was the lowest guy on the yeah. fucking rung? And obviously people mature as they get older, so th- anything can change. But just Stu Although, was such a goofball, I can't picture him being the mastermind before, behind everything. Ah, before we move on, though, because I just want to throw this out there. What if he becomes a mastermind after? What if his master plan comes in, starts in four? Maybe. So he right. might have been getting in uh, Sydney's cousins here, having her go after, and then... When she failed, goes, fuck it, I need to do something else. And either right. puppets something or does it himself. One thing I do know is I was not a huge fan of 4. It's an, it's an okay movie. I don't hate the movie. It just doesn't fit for me. It, just, it was unnecessary. I've always said that. This one looks like it's going to actually kind of fit. It, it's it's going to be better. Now, that was intended to be the first of a trilogy that never happened because it didn't get good returns at the box office. But um, you know who knows where that initially would have gone. But yeah. this one looks like it actually will fit and will be a better continuation of the series i also want to point out this is the first time a scream movie has come out when horror has been popular usually scream movies come out when horror is in the low points because even the original ones came out when horror was in a low point and even the four came out when horror was kind of in a low point like this is the first time that they've actually struck when the iron's hot so who knows where that goes yeah I only know is I'm excited and we're just a couple of months away, but this was an yes. awesome trailer. Right before my birthday, January 14th. And uh, another one of the big stories, we have a few more things to talk about this week, but another of the big stories that came out this week, and people are losing their minds over this, uh, and we're going to touch on that, but the new Hellraiser movie, not the series, not to be confused with the series, which sounds like it's going to actually be the better of the two things to me, but the new Hellraiser movie, we got two pieces of information about this this week. First of all, Pinhead is going to be in the movie. And will be a female this time. I'm in. So here's where people are losing their minds. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Ah. I've never read the books, but I've heard two different people. Our friend Walter Ball mm-hmm. and our friend the Maestro, mm-hmm. who have read the, was it, the Hellbound Heart or whatever yeah, it's yeah. called. Whatever the, whatever the source material. Um, Pinhead was a, was a female in that. And yes. a lot of people don't realize that. Well, not only that, the Pinhead character, even I in the, myth- that. the Pinhead character, even in the mythology, if you remember, isn't always one person. Like, the Cenobite who plays Pinhead has been a couple different people, even in their own mythology. Yeah. Because remember when, uh, when, 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 the, when the character that is played by our, our legendary friend, Doug Bradley, mm-hmm. and I use friend because he is, uh, yep. he, uh, he, if you remember that, he was not the first Pinhead. Because there was somebody else before he opened the Lament configuration and got into the box. Yeah. Because there was somebody else. So, like, you have to remember... Because he only came in around, what, was it World War One? Because it was after World War One or World War Two. One of them, yeah. It was one of the two World Wars, because that's when he gets into the Lament configuration. So before that, there was somebody else. So like, and if you go deep into the history, especially in the comic books and stuff, they do flirt with that. So it's fine to move on. And moving on with a woman, I think, is smart. And here's why. Any male actor is going to be compared to Doug Bradley. Right. And, and, and knowing and, and having met Doug Bradley and spent some time with him, and he's awesome. He is, you know, he's he's an older gentleman now, and he's very much like the grandfather I always wish I had. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm being serious. Who listens to Ghost and travels around to go to Ghost uh, concerts and fucking is, is just badass. But let's be honest. 
he even said when I was talking to him, like to be in the cot, he was like, he was hurt by them not asking him in the past. Uh, in the last couple times they replaced him. But at the same time, he's like, I couldn't be in all that cut, you know, the, the makeup and shit. Like it's, it's it would be too hard on me. Yeah. Cause it was heavy. And they put, you know, this, you know, everything on there's latex and the, the, the actual pins, which are like real metal fucking, you know, like it's heavy. It's, it's hard on somebody who's older. Just it's the same way that we hear all the time. Uh, when Robert Anglin says about being Freddie, like it's just too hard to wear the whole prosthetic, you know what I right. mean? So I get why you have to replace him. Now, if you replace him with a man, you're going to instantly compare him to Doug Bradley. If you replace him with a woman, though, you're like, ah, new beginning. new beginning. I think this was a smart move. Now, I would like to see, because we know Clive Barker is involved. Yes, that was the other piece of information. I think he's involved with the series, too, but he it was announced he is involved as a producer on this film. I would like to see maybe a passing of the torch of sorts, where you don't even have to have him dressed as Pinhead. You could just have Doug Bradley... Just as Doug Bradley dressed up like, ah, I passed that curse on, like, as he, like, Or maybe he shows, like, the World War II yeah. guy or something. Something, you know what I mean? And then you're like, ah, it goes away. Yeah, they've talked cool. a lot about this uh, recently and said that there's going to be a lot of pieces of the original movie that are going to be in this one. They're going to go back to that material, and you're going to see a lot of stuff, but they're also going to take it in their own direction. Remains to be seen. I don't know if this is going to go to theaters or if it's going to end up being another directed video. You know, we don't know at this point exactly how this is going to play out, but... My guess right now, I think that's theaters. supposed to be a Hulu. Well, movie. I think it'll be on Hulu, but I think it will go to theaters as well if if it comes out soon. Which I I know that they're shooting, but if it, soon they'll be shooting it, so it should be out by twenty twenty three. As long as horror is still on the uptick, it is now. Right. I would assume there'll be a theater release. If it is not, then it'll just go to the yeah. Because at this point, I think that it is expected to go straight to Hulu, but that's because of the pandemic. Who knows if this thing finally clears up? You, you never know. Um, all right, so we got a few more things we got to fire through quickly here. Uh, AMC's announced for for those of you that are fans of The Walking Dead, we know the original series is uh, kind of coming to an end Ken here. M, but, we're looking at you, but uh, they have announced a new anthology series called Tales of the Walking Dead. It's going to be a six episode first season that will have one hour episodes set within the world of The Walking Dead and will feature new and existing characters. And it'll be hosted by the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> I'm yeah. joking. No, I can't no. do that voice. It won't be hosted by the Crypt Keeper. That is not news. Um, I, I've, I've been on it before. Really? Again? Although, Ken M tells me I should watch Fear of the Walking Dead, because I guess that it got better. Like, if you start at season three or something, he said it got it got pretty good, and it's the best thing they're putting out now. Even he's kind of falling out of love with the, uh, uh, the, the Walking Dead proper, if you will, which is coming to an end this next year, because mm-hmm. they have like 10 parts of the same season. Right. Uh, I'm not even joking. I know. Uh, and then, of course, they're going to be doing the Daryl and Carol spinoff. Like, it's one of those things where AMC, for the longest time, and we've talked about this in the past, has stated that they don't think that this thing has hit the apex yet. And I'm like, I don't understand how you guys don't get it. It's hit the apex and it's been on the downside. So much so that zombies have become kind of impasse because it's just been flooded. Zombies were the hottest thing, and now you don't see them being the hottest thing anymore. No, that fad is finally coming to an end here, I think. So. I think it's because you got too much zombie although content. The, although Sci-Fi's got their new Day of the Dead series which is getting abysmal reviews. Yeah, well, so. no surprises. Uh, Netflix and Mike Flanagan teaming up again. You know, right now we got Midnight Mass out, which I've heard mixed things. Our friend the Maestro and his girlfriend both loved it. My brother said it was unwatchable because it was just like all the normal Mike Flanagan, just slow, quiet talk. Let's have a long, t- boring talk. And, and that would make sense with the Maestro loving it. <laughs> yeah. And not even the professor. I think the professor loved it. Yeah, he did love it because he messaged me. No, you guys watched definitely, it? Wow. Then I'm definitely not watching it. 
But yeah, I, I haven't really got any interest in this. I've got it queued up, but I just I, I didn't have any interest in it. But uh, they are teaming up again for a new series uh, called The Fall of the House of Usher. It's going to be based on multiple works of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, they've ordered eight episodes, four of which will be directed by Mike Flanagan himself. I'm intrigued by this because I'm a big Edgar Allan Poe fan. I am too. So I'm I'm intrigued by seeing what they could do with it. So I hope it's a it's period good. piece. Well, what I would like from this is being a period piece, and I'm assuming if it's going to be fall from the House of Ushers that they're going to just do an anthology. That's what my, my assumption would be. I don't know. But knowing him, he might stretch, because the source material for, for House of Ushers is kind of, it's not like a, a super long source, mm -hmm. but I have, the only fear I would have is that Flanagan tries to stretch it out. Outside of that, if he does like what, what has been done kind of in the past with Fall from the House of Ushers and kind of mix in a couple different stories and may go anthology on it, this could be really good. Yeah. I mean, I do trust what he does for the most part. You know, he a couple well. things. Blind Manor, I didn't care about, but he didn't direct most of it either. He I just, just want to say, no shots at my flag, and I think he's amazing. I'm just saying that a lot of times he does try to stretch things out. Yeah. And that's what my brother was talking about. You know, if, even if you look at Haunting a Hill House, when I went back and rewatched it again last uh, couple weeks ago here, you know, it's it's a lot of just boring dialogue. Everybody's talking real quiet, and there's just this long 15-minute monologue, you know, <laughs> and whatever. Well, that's why he does well with... Conversation that's I, being Let's had. be honest. That's why he does well with Stephen King properties, too. Yeah, because there's some of that. There's because, a lot of that in, in Dr. Sleep, yeah, but it was an excellent it. movie. Well, it was excellent. But think about it. The reason why he does so well with Stephen King properties is because Stephen King also likes to drag shit out. True. Like, as a writer, the nice part about King is you never... you. The hard part about making a King adaptation is that he goes into such detail in his books yeah. about what things should look like that you have a picture painted already. And unless you copy that, it's going to always be different from the source material. Right. And I, I think that that's why somebody like Mike Flanagan gets along with him so well, because he's willing to drag that out and give you that. Right. Right. Uh, this is this is huge news. You know who my favorite director of all time is? It's not John Carpenter. It's not Wes Craven. No, it's David, it's David Gordon, Gordon Green. Green. Yeah, the greatest director of this or any other generation. <laughs> and I say that with complete sarcasm because I can't stand him, and uh, we'll get into that uh, at another time here again. But he, uh, it, it's, it's come out. We knew that he was going to be directing the new Exorcist movie. We knew there were going to be three of them. He's directing all three of them. Yay. Yeah. Well, on other news, because we don't have too much information about these Exorcist films to begin with other than him directing them. Uh, in other news, I just want to point out here in the beginning part is, of course, we're getting ready to gear up. We're getting ready to go in the second half of the show, which, of course, we're kicking Halloween Fest off with our with the OG Laurie Strode timeline. And that means Halloween. We're going to do our review of Halloween for the first time ever on Horror Zone 607. We will give a full-on review of Halloween 1978. With that being said, Halloween Kills, which was directed... And co-written by, by the David, greatest director by of this David or any generation has come out this week. It will not be part of this review. What we're doing is we're making a special show that will be on the channel the same day. So you can download it or just stream it or whatever, listen to it after you see the movie or let it be till you see the movie. Or if you've seen the movie, you can hear our thoughts. So we're doing a separate one. So you'll see on your feed, you're going to get two shows released this week. One will be Horizon six, uh, 607 Halloween Fest week one. And the other one will be Halloween Kills Review. So check out our review, which we'll be recording right after we're done recording this, and it'll be put out around the same time. This is our gift to you for missing it a week. Yes. So and you'll get a full-on review of Halloween Kills from us, and it plays in because David Gordon Green was co-writer and director of the second part of his Halloween trilogy. A technically quadrilogy because they count the first one in there, but Yay. it is a trilogy for him directing. Uh, with that being said, though, you know where we're at? 
we're at the time where I tell all you fine, fine friends of the show where you can find us. And of course, you can find us at 8122productions.com. You can get all of our information right there on the website, including our social medias, which we're HorrorZone607 on Facebook, at HorrorZone607 on Twitter and Instagram. Use the hashtag HZ607 whenever talking about the show. Of course, right over there at 8122productions.com, there is a link a link to the T Public Store. You can go and get yourself a nice Horizon 607 shirt and everything else that we do right here at 8122 Productions. And of course, if you would like to support us monetarily as well, you can join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash 8122productions. Right from there, for as little as a dollar a month, you get a ton of extra bonus content, including this show, Horizon 607. You get it early and you get it with bonus content each and every week. So, that is there. All those links and more at 8122productions.com. And also, all those links are in the liner notes to this podcast. Mike C., I do believe it's time for the Horror Zone 607 trivia question. Oh, you better believe it is. And, uh, you know, this this month, of course, you know, we've already talked about ad nauseum here. We're, it's Halloween Fest. So all of the trivia questions this month are going to be revolving around the Halloween series. And, you know, you may, you think you, you may know everything there is to know about the Halloween movies, but I came up with some, I think, pretty challenging questions. There's stuff that maybe you know. A lot of people may know them what out there. What was Laurie Strode's cat's name? No, I'm joking. Uh, I did have a question that involves an animal, so <laughs> that may or may not come up this month. But um, they are going to be hard-hitting questions, and they're not going to be that easy. I wanted to make these a little bit challenging. So here we go. The question is, the Halloween series primarily takes place in and around the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois. What real town was the inspiration for Haddonfield? One more time, the Halloween series primarily takes place in and around the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois. What real town, real life, this is a real place, what real town was in the inspiration for Haddonfield? The answer coming up right after the break. Hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Tuffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast, and you're listening to Rich and Mike on the Horror Zone 607 Podcast. Well, that unmistakable music can mean one thing and one thing only. That's Halloween. And we are going to be reviewing the original Halloween for the first time. We've talked about it so many times on the show because how can you not when you have a horror movie show? But uh, we're actually going to be doing our very first full-length review. And uh, it's time. It's time. But before we get to that, we have to answer the question for this week's Horror Zone Trivia. And the question was, the Halloween series primarily takes place in and around the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois. What 
real town was the inspiration for Haddonfield? Well, I, I'm going to go on a limb here just because I've heard a this in a ton of interviews, and it's even mentioned in the Halloween movies, and that's Russellville. I'm not sure what state it's in, though. That's incorrect. Really? Yes, that's actually incorrect. The answer is Haddonfield, New Jersey. Really? Which was the hometown of Deborah Hill. Well, they mentioned Russell. There. Like that's weird because in all the documentaries that I've ever seen, they mentioned Russellville more, and that's why they put it in the story because they're like the kid over in Russellville had a. There might have been some inspiration. There's in somebody, there too. somebody that, that that's where. So, like, I guess there was like some kind of grave ro- grave robbing thing that was happening there. No, like in real life or some weird. Oh, shit. maybe in real life. Yeah, I don't no, know. no. I'm just saying, and that's what. And at the time, John Carpenter was living near. I can't remember what state it was in, but he was living near this place. He was from Kentucky, so yeah. So I think that's where it was, Russellville, Kentucky. So that's why all the crazy shit that happened in Halloween is always like oh over in Russellville <laughs> so yeah so that, that's why it confused me but that's kind of interesting I do know that there's a Haddonfield New Jersey though yeah yeah I've been through there so I went uh, on the way to Great Adventure Six Flags Great Adventure you actually yeah. go through there from here yeah so yeah. Uh, so yeah I've actually been through there so yes Deborah Hill's hometown oh there you go the more you know do 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 but it's time to kick off Halloween Fest. Of course, we're going to kick it off with the review because this is the OG Laurie Strode timeline. So, by the way, in case you guys didn't catch it in the, in, the, in the previous when we talked about it. So, we're going to every year for Halloween Fest for the next few years. So, every October, we are going to dissect and review the movies of Halloween. But we're going to do them in the different timelines because there's so many timelines. Now, it would be easy just to go, we're going to do the straight timeline. Like, don't care. Just go in order. But no, 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 no. We're not doing that. We're going to break them down the way that technically I think that the they would like you to watch them in. It does get convoluted real quick. And we decided that this year we were going to start with the OG Laurie Strode timeline. Now, we have a new age Laurie Strode timeline that includes Halloween 2018, now Halloween Kills, and next year's Halloween Ends, uh, which we will do at a later time. This year we are doing the OG storyline, which includes Halloween 1978, Halloween 2, H2O and Halloween Resurrection. I love Halloween water. Yes, water. Water. Uh, and then, of course, I would like to point out that next year we've already decided, just so you guys know, and I know it's a full year in advance, we will be doing the Jamie Lloyd saga, which would include, once again, we'll be doing a recap of the first two Halloweens. And spoiler alert, one of those movies is really good. Yes, yes. But we will be we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll be doing a recap. The first week we'll recap for those of you, so it won't be full-on reviews because you can go back in time. But we will recap Halloween 1 and 2 because technically they are part of the canon of the Jamie Lloyd saga. Yeah. And then we will be doing Halloween 4 five and the curse of michael myers oh what a classic and uh we might just do the director's and regular cut because who knows because yeah. there's there's all Neither sorts one of are very shit. good but the, the director's cut is better or producer's cut or whatever that's you right call it. whatever you want to call it but anyways with that being said that'll be next year the jamie lloyd saga this year though Lori strode og timeline are you ready mike c to kick it off with halloween 1978 i'm waiting on bated breath all right first of all halloween 1978 came out on october 25th 1978 it was distributed by compass international pictures and aquarius releasing go figure i bet you neither of them are around anymore it was Trankus took over compass it was Produced by Deborah Hill, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and of course, directed by the legendary John Carpenter. Cinematography done by Dean Cundy, edited by Tommy Wallace and Charles Bornstein, and the music was by John Carpenter as well. It starred Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, Nancy Loomis, Nick Castle, and so many more. And uh, the budget of this movie was 300000 to $325,000 in 1978 money, which was decent money. That'd be over a million dollars today. Yeah. But still a low-budget film. 
Do you know how much it made in the initial box office run? Uh, I knew this at one point. I want to say ten million or something. Oh like that. no, go high. A <laughs> hundred million. A little less. Seventy-five million. Slightly less. Sixty to seventy million dollars. I knew this at one time. Made a ton of money. It was a smash hit. Let's be honest. Hence why we got a sequel, which we'll be talking about <laughs> next week. <laughs> because let's before we even dive into the synopsis, let's talk Wait, about. There's more than one Halloween film. Oh Jesus! <laughs> That's but, like saying there's more than one Friday the Thirteenth yeah, film. Really, Nobody crazy, would believe that. Crazy, crazy talk. Uh, but let's dive in before we get into the actual movie. Let's give a little background to that. Originally, this made this this movie was written as the Babysitter Miller Murders. It wasn't even entitled Halloween. They decided to change the name to Halloween because better marketing. Yeah. <laughs> Deborah Hill got her way with a better marketing scheme, which is it's true. And I, they were surprised to see that there wasn't a movie there, there called Halloween. Because not that even was, a Halloween title in any movie. Because at that John point. Carpenter tells it best. Like when Deborah Hill gave him the idea, like, well, let's change it because that would be better for marketing. He was like, but you know, it's probably already taken. And they were like, no, no. Nah, I'm telling not. you right now, this movie exactly as it is, word for word, everything about that movie, but take it out of Halloween. No Halloween title. The Babysitter Murders. It doesn't take place on Halloween. I don't think that we would have. No, I don't think. I don't know a, that there would have been sequels. I honestly think that that it was a great a franchise. Uh, Deborah Hill had a, an amazing marketing campaign, and she it was it was absolutely around the money. I, I can I can't agree with that more. She was amazing, and hence why she went on. To, her creation is just amazing. Let's just throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, to be noted, originally both Deborah Hill. And John Carpenter wanted this to be an anthology series after they changed it to Halloween. So the first movie was going to take place with the Babysitter Murders by The Shape, which just so happened to be named Michael Myers, <laughs> because that was how they referred to him in the uh, script, was The Shape. And then it was going to go on to other things to be an anthology. However, the success of this movie, plus a little movie that you might have known, called Friday the 13th in 1980, made them want to revisit Michael Myers. Well, the studio, sorry. The studio did. Yeah. Not, neither uh, John Carpenter or Deborah Hill did. So they agreed that, hey, if we do a second movie for you with Michael Myers, we put an end on it, then we can do our anthology. And of course, we know where that went. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that at a different time. But I just wanted to throw those little fun facts out there just so you kind of know where this movie was originally coming from. And I still have the theory that Halloween anthology, now that these horror series are becoming so much bigger on television now, the series that are on TV. I think that if they really wanted to and they really want to spread out Halloween and make it an anthology, that's the way you go. You make it a TV series, put it on FX or something like that. I, agree. I, agree. I think that that could be successful and people would really like it. So let's dive right in now talking about So let's give you the overbearing synopsis. I'm sure everybody knows it, but of course this uh, originally starts with the young Michael Myers who murders his sister. Oh, Judith. <laughs> after she has coitus. <laughs> uh, the quickest one ever. Quickest one Whatever. That guy was a two-pump chump. That was a two-pump chump. So he murders his <laughs> sister, and of course, then he gets locked up in the mental institute. So we fast forward years later, and it's a dark, stormy night, and Michael Myers escapes. Well, he, he also allows all the other inmates to escape, too, which is kind of interesting. And he then steals the, uh, the station wagon that somehow he knows how to drive, which gives us one of the greatest lines ever. Yeah, Somebody obviously was giving him driving lessons. Maybe someone <laughs> around here taught him. Uh, he seemed to be doing well last night. <laughs> Fucking Donald Pleasant. So good. Uh, and then it takes us in town. In town, he finds some uh, young ladies at the high school that he decides that he is going to stalk. One in particular being Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And then, of course, her friends, who they're all together. And, of course, two of them have babysitting jobs that night, even though one of them gets out of it to have sex. Curing on the moral combat. So uh, Michael ends up uh, killing some people. <laughs> Three, to be exact couple two tree it's a very low body count 
Yeah. But it's very menacing movie, very classic. And of course, the showdown takes place at the end of the day at the, uh, uh, what do you call it, at uh, the Doyle house. Yeah, because they're yes. at Tommy Doyle's house. So the, at the Doyle, Doyle house, house and the Wallace house well, yeah, between the, the two. But the Doyle house is where the final, the, the final showdown yeah. between... Uh, Lori and Michael takes place where he then gets shot six times. I shot him six, I shot him times. six times and he falls off over the railing and that's the end of the movie. Well, the end of the movie is him disappeared. <laughs> oh yeah. But the end of the movie is, is, is there. So that was the quickest synopsis we could go through. Cause obviously we want to jump into the review, but I think everybody here, I, I would be surprised if you are listening to a show called horror zone 607 and you have never seen Halloween 1978. But if you haven't, this is a good time to go watch it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're missing. You know, you're listening to this. I mean, how could you not have seen that movie? It's surprising. I mean, I could get it if you didn't see ones in later, but this is a classic. So with that being said, Mike, let's do it the, 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 this way. Let's do, I mean, this one's going to be a hard one to do because usually I'd be like, let's do the good. Let's talk about some of the bad. And then there's let's give our bad. review, but there's not much bad. So here's what's bad. I'll, I'll tell you what's okay, bad. Okay, let's jump right in there. And, uh, you know, neither I, I was two months old when this movie came out. My birthday's August 25th. It came out on October 25th of 1978. I was literally two Mike months C, old. Mike, see, I'm going to love this. I was negative five years old. Yeah, you weren't even uh, a glimmer in your parents' eyes. I wasn't even a spot in my daddy's underwear. No, you were not. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know what people talked like back then, but I know that Deborah Hill mentioned many times before she passed away that the dialogue she gave the girls was very much like the way that teenagers spoke at that point in time. So we always look back at it and we laugh about it. But the fact of the matter is the way that the movie has aged, the dialogue is pretty bad but between the girls. The, the acting isn't exactly great. The dialogue is pretty rough. Right. But as a period piece, you can get past that. Exactly. And I'm that's my that point is maybe that's the way everything was. back Maybe. Then. But here's the thing. If that's the negative, exactly. <laughs> that's there's something. Let's be honest. Uh, here on Horror Zone, you hear us talk a lot about atmosphere, and this movie possibly has the greatest atmosphere of any movie of all time. Yeah, and I'm not even I'm not joking. The, the only, only movie close close is probably Jaws. Jaws, uh, which in a different way. Yes, and I would say Black Christmas too. That's true. That's true. So like like which this predates movie, both. Yes. So this movie. Is 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 all day. It's dark. It's gloomy. You're on a cold fall day in Illinois. Well, I mean, it was shot in Pasadena, but we, you know they they do a good job. Of, Besides the think point. about it, they do a good job of encompassing. You really believe you're yeah. in in a fall day in Illinois? We're from the Northeast. Who cares that you can see a couple palm trees? Yeah, that was that's that's the weird part about it. Or the 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 unfortunately <laughs> they didn't change out all the license plates back then, so you yeah. can see some California license plates. But whatever. It once again, those are more fun Easter eggs to actually look for now yeah. as you get older. I, I, that's how I. I look at it but anyway so you have like the atmosphere i mean they shoot everything in fall colors so it's very dark it's very lots of oranges yeah. lots of rustic colors which is that's that's you know especially if you're from somewhere where they have seasons like us in the northeast you understand what the, the fall colors are right and so they shoot in those colors very dark so even when it's daytime because of the leaves and because of the fall it feels it's not bright sunny day if they it, they shoot it in a way that it's more dark which is perfect because there's an ominous cloud hanging over the head and that is the cloud of the shape slash right. michael myers uh and i think the cameras that they used in that era kind of helped with it too because they had that darker grittier mm -hmm. look to them so it, it adds to it and, and they definitely did a great job of movie magic we, we all know the opening one shot like mm -hmm. one take shot walking through, you know, uh, invent, you know, they, they, they put two pieces of equipment together to create the steady cam for that. Yeah. So they, they actually kind of created their own. There were actually cuts in that though. Yeah. There were, I, I know, yeah, but you don't was, know that you don't know done that, so yeah. beautifully, but it's also such a great concept that they used a two different existing pieces 
and put them together to steady the camera so that it's even possible. Of course, the point of view, the point of view stabbing, the point mm-hmm. of view with a mask on, because when he puts the mask on, you kind of see the outline. It's like it's a very cool being in the POV of the killer. Right. Uh, and and they've done that in Black Christmas. So I think it's an homage to being in the POV of a killer. Right. But, but they hadn't done it in such of a long shot or that. So you have very unique cinematography in this movie you can't you can't say it's very cool which years later has now become the norm because everybody has kind of copied that cinematography since then then you have the fact that they did something in this movie that i'm going to argue has never been rivaled in any horror movie you ready for it they created the perfect character the perfect villain character without uttering a single word without having any characteristics other than like some head turns and motions Everything was body language. Freddie, what do we think of when we think of Freddie? One line. He he's yeah. chatty. He's, 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 he's the most personal. Jason, who doesn't speak, still has like these over the top motions. Like Jason's a very snappy, move quick kind of killer. He became that way. Yeah. Like I'm just saying the legendary parts of everybody. Unfortunately for Jason, there's a bunch of people who played him. So it was yeah. different. Uh, each person brought something, and uh, the only ones that I can really nail down, and you know, uh, to really nail it down, was Kane Hodder, right, who right. finally made kind of a template for it because he used a bunch of the other stuff that worked for other act- for other stunt guys. Right. Where with with Michael Myers, they just told him basically like, "This is it. You're just a killing machine. You're very deliberate. Just he walk. doesn't waste strides, and he walks. Like, there's no waste in movement of Michael Myers. He, but he's, but you know what's menacing about that is he's very deliberate." And that's something that they capture in this first film. I mean, even when you have a scene where he pins the guy up against the fucking wall with the knife. Like, how yep. deliberate is that? He he suddenly grabs him. He has him off the ground. There's a good second where he's thinking, and then he just jabs him. And like then he just looks at him. Like a butterfly like a perfect, collection. Yeah, like, 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 this is what I meant to do. This is my masterpiece. I hung yep. it on the wall. Like, you would hang uh, a children's picture from cray- Crayon on your fucking refrigerator. That's what he did to this guy. So, like... It's things like that that made this character menacing without going over the top, without having to do rely on extra things. The character was so devoid using the mask they ended up coming upon, which, of course, famously is a William Shatner mask, uh, peeling off the eyebrows and dyeing the hair and then painting it white. That's all they yeah. did to the mask. And, and think about it, though. It was and oh, and they made the eye holes a little wider. I eye holes a little wider. That. They took off the sideburns. Too. Yes, they took out. The but I mean, it was just but still but William Shatner mask. Pretty much. White. I think Tommy Lee Wallace was the one that did it because I saw him. There's a, a guy on YouTube. I've talked about him before. His name is uh, Sean Clark. Uh, he does a thing called Horrors Hollowed Grounds. Uh, he actually had a, a, a video that he did with Tommy Wallace where they took mm-hmm. the Captain Kirk mask. And this is just recently, within the last year. Yeah, and they and he did made it. a Michael mask, and it was it was the same thing. But with doing all that, it was the reason why is because that once they put the white on it, it was featureless. Yeah. Also, they did some really cool camera magic. If you if you guys don't remember, they used lights and lighting to use the mask and the reflectiveness. And with that reflectiveness, you can kind of see the shape coming through before he actually gets there. Of course, there's the famous scene of Lori standing in the doorway and it's dark behind her. And all of a sudden you just see the mask kind of coming to frame. Basically, what they did is they use uplighting to turned it up real slowly. Turned it up real slowly. And the white, the because the mask reflected that, it looks really cool coming Which into Which they reuse that technique in part two. Absolutely. In Dr. Mixter's office. Absolutely. So there's a lot of cool things like that that they did in this movie. The story's great. I mean, you have the you know you you have the, the the teenagers, and they introduce you to them, so you actually give a damn about them. They all have their own, li- you know, they're friends, but they all have their own little things. You you know, have Linda, who's like the party girl that likes to hang out with her boyfriend and, and have lots of sex. Then then you, <laughs> well, it's isn't true. that Devon Graham? Oh I think God. he's cute. He's so he's so handsome. 
<laughs> and then and then you know Lori, of course, the hero is is the is the opposite, the polar opposite mm-hmm. of her. And and it, it's just it, you just have so many different you know elements. You know what the good acting comes into that too with Lori is I've seen Jamie Lee Curtis on numerous occasions say that she was actually more like the other two in real life. The other ones were more like her. They were the ones that were kind of quiet and you know kind of reserved and she was the one that was out like partying and was snarky and everything else so mm-hmm. you know I, I think that they did a good job acting in that they did a great Laura job was great uh, jamie lee curtis was great yeah, I should say. Yeah. but you know you know you get to that and then of course like i said when you had, had the killer and i think it's a good mess uh takeaways good takeaways from uh, halloween because i know besides what i said you could probably have a million of them go ahead yeah i mean i don't even know what more there is to say about it you know it's one of the greatest movies there ever was it just it 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 like you said it was it became a template for everything that came after that and you know to be fair John Carpenter has said it himself he just copied Black Christmas which I think is is in in my own mind over the years has become just as good as Halloween I I think it's every bit as good maybe even slightly better I'm starting to maybe kind of put it maybe just like the ever so you know slightly above Halloween. Um, because they're, it's like one, a one B really with those two movies, as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, what more can you say about Halloween that hasn't already been said? It's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. One of the top two or three ever Iron- made. Ironically, that's why I said this is not going to be a very long review. Cause usually in reviews, you take a time to, to say the good and the bad. Right. And with this movie, there's not a lot of bad. The there score, really isn't. The score is amazing. The everybody knows that song. Yeah. Well, and then all the other songs. There's Jaws and there's Halloween. Everybody knows those songs. The the way that he uses like the ominous, just simple piano in the yeah. background of a lot of things, including which the is something thing. they got away from in the other ones. They copied it, but there was more like synthesizers and yeah, bigger they did things a little and bit this and that. And that was so simple. That's why I we were talking off air beforehand about the new Halloween Kills, which again we're going to be doing a separate show for that to review it. But that's one thing that they got away with, got away from, especially with like Halloween 2018 and everything. It's supposed to be a continuation of it. This movie was so simple. It was simple. They used perfect lighting. They had just everything was perfect. Everything aligned perfectly for this movie. But it was just at the end of the day, creepy music, dark, whatever, you know, dark atmosphere with it. And and a killer that didn't really do a whole lot. You know, he just kind of hid in the shadows. It was simple, but it was so suspenseful and so perfectly done. I don't even know what else you can really say about it. I, if I'm going to criticize anything else, I would say that, you know, maybe they use the score a little too much in the in the movie. There's really only, what, three different scores that they use in that? You got the main theme. You got Laurie's theme. Yeah. And then you got bump, bum. Yeah, bum. it's all ominous. You know, it's... Which creates the atmosphere, which the music should do. So it's 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 all, like, tied in. It I, Honestly, this is one of the greatest movies ever made, period. Not just in horror. Not just horror, but ever made. Yeah, I, I I've said that for and a long time. And how influential is it too? Oh, it's it's it, it spawned everything, pretty much. I mean, there's no Friday the Thirteenth without Halloween. There there's wouldn't no be a Nightmare on Elm Street Nightmare without it. There's no, there's which the, is a completely slasher, different type the of slasher movie, age and the golden era of horror that happened in the 1980s does not exist without oh. Halloween '78. So before we give our scores of this movie, let's chuck around the interwebs and give you some of their scores. Uh, I can tell you on IMDb they rate this a 7.7 out of 10. On Common Sense Media, it's three out of five. Rotten Tomatoes, combined score, 96%. And 90% of Google's users like this movie as well. So with that being said, I'll go ahead and give my score first, Mike. Once again, I don't give any movie a perfect score. 
We right. all know this. There's never been a movie I give a perfect score to because I don't believe a real 10 exists. However, a nine and a half is usually where my, my, my scale peaks, and there's only a few movies that fall into that. And there's only two horror movies that fall into that. And I can tell you today, and I think I've said it before, but I'm going to say it officially today, Halloween 1978 is one of them. And I give it a nine and a half out of 10. This movie is damn near perfect. This is one of those movies that you watch and you're like, it's timeless. Like you said, the dialogue's a little yep. dated, but it is a period piece. You can look back at it and you still get it. You can show this to a kid in 2021 who's never seen it before, and they'll know what this movie's about. You might have to explain the situations and the time period to them if they have questions afterwards, but they'll get the movie. They'll get the menacing. They'll get the death. They'll get the fact that it keeps you on the edge of your seat with suspense. The shooting and everything. It, it, this movie... When you look at it as a whole, is is as close to, in my opinion, is as close to perfect as you're ever going to get. That's why it's a nine and a half out of ten all day, twice on Sunday. <laughs> and uh, Mike C, what do you give it? So I, I have pretty much the same mentality when it comes to scoring these movies. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's Jaws is pretty close to perfect. Um, the Exorcist is pretty close to perfect, even though I don't even like saying the name. Let's let's that's a, again another show. That we don't By the way, talk those are about. those are also two of my nine and a half movies. So keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Black Christmas is right up there too. Um, you know, truth be told. So, but slightly, un- I, I I put that I always put it slightly underneath at a nine, and I'm going to tell you why because I mean we've we, we've done a review of it before, but maybe we'll go officially now that we're doing a lot of things and do another one. Uh, the only things I take away from it is there is a lot of worthless dialogue in in Black Christmas. The middle part of that movie is kind of like worthless dialogue. I disagree, but I, I'm just saying I'd I, have to watch it I've, again and be. I, I've seen it a hundred times, right? But, but I, that's how I've always looked at it. the 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 parts when you're the 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 uh, parts that are supposed to be creepy and suspenseful are. But think about it, the middle part when they go to the police office. The, the police office. Yeah, it gets a little time, witty in there. It gets a little like whatever. But you know, Mario Kidder's fucking just making jokes and she's a drunk the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And like like the only that, and mind you, if that's my only qualm, it's not <laughs> no, a bad movie. Exactly. It's still a great movie. It's just that I, I had to take away from that. I don't feel like there's that much wasted dialogue in Halloween. Right. Think about it. Everything comes back. Even with this stupid conversations between the young girls play an important part to build their character. Whereas in Black Christmas, there is some throwaway. Because that cop scene, when they go to the police uh, station for the first time, is completely worthless. Because the cops don't do shit that, at that Yeah, point. I think that that's more supposed to be like the comedy relief in the movie, which it didn't need. It, yeah, but. I, but then again, once again, it could be also because it was made in, what, 1974? Yes. Uh, it could be because I don't get the humor of 1974, because it could have been great for its time. Right. But now watching it, you know, I didn't see it until the 19 19- 90s and by then it was already dated and Halloween like I said it can be dated but you can understand it that you're like the jokes that she's making I'm like I don't it's falling flat for me right but right still to this day but you know and and you know the things that I mentioned is maybe the score is as much as I love it and as creepy as it is and as amazing as it is I think that maybe they just kind of overplay it a little too much uh and then the dialogue against you know it's it is what it is um, but I have so much appreciation for this movie, and I always will. That's something I'll take to my grave someday. I, I just, I have a limitless amount of appreciation for this movie, and uh, I also give it a nine point five out of ten. It's so close to perfection. Yes, that's why this series started off on the highest of highs. <laughs> yeah. I feel there's, like we should have gone backwards. By but it the way, have made there's sense. only one way it can go, and trust me, <laughs> trust me, ladies and gentlemen. Spoiler alert for this year, next year, and every year. It will go that way. 
Well, with that being said, we're also interested in what you think at home. Maybe you have a completely different outlook. Maybe you don't like Halloween 1978 because I know there are some people out there that don't. Maybe you love it even more than we do and you think we're crazy for giving even a half a point off because you don't mind giving a perfect score to things. Who knows? We always want to hear from you guys. You can do that. Facebook, HorrorZone607. Twitter and Instagram, at HorrorZone607. Use that hashtag HC607. For all information about the show, including the T Public link, the twitch.tv slash 7 podcast link, the patreon.com slash 8122productions link, and so much more, you can find them at 8122productions.com. You can also stream our show from there. Did you know that, Mike? You can stream Horizon 607 right from the website. I think we should talk about things and uh, in, in put out a show. We should make a podcast. I also got to tell you, in, in the near future, there's probably going to be some more reviews and uh, some articles going up from yours truly and maybe anybody else who has a hinkering uh, going up on the website and so much more. And of course, if you don't remember any of that, you know what? We got you covered too. In the liner notes of the show, just right below, all the links are hyperlinked. Click on them. They'll take you wherever you need to go. And with that being said, Mike C., you can take these wonderful people home. All right. Thanks, buddy. And thank you for all listening. Uh, We're so excited to be in the month of October and talking about our favorite series of all time. We will be back next week talking, as we mentioned, about Halloween 2. And uh, hopefully there'll be some news. (laughs) There was so much big news uh, this this past week and a half. Uh, You know, we'll we'll bring you whatever news we've got. But... uh, you know, of course, uh, we'll we'll uh, be back talking about everything horror next week. So until then, for Rich, I'm Mike C. Saying, see ya. <laughs>